have your Bible there if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to talk today about something we all need to hear about pretty often, and it's the issue of forgiveness. I want to talk about forgiveness today. And using a text of Scripture from Matthew 18, I know that no one here has unforgiveness, but your friends might. And I I just want to talk to you about your friends, okay, and what you can tell them. Now, Peter, you know, Peter was a... He was a guy that all of us really can relate to. He was just a klutz. He really was. And so Jesus called him, and and Peter was the one always thinking he was doing the right thing while he was doing the wrong thing. And so Peter, this is, (laughs) Peter comes up to the Lord. This is verse 21 here of Matthew 18. I just love this question because he says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times. Now, you know, Peter just thinks he's the Pope at this moment. You know, of course, they say he was the first one. Anyway, he, uh, he just thinks he's being the most, you know, righteous human on earth. And he says, hey, Lord, how many, how many times do I forgive my brother? And, I mean, seven, seven times. Now, just admit it. All of us in here, just admit it. If you forgive a person one time, that's, that's something now. Just admit it. If you, if you forgive them two times, <laughs> they're really on your nerves. If you forgive them three times, I mean, that's rare. Four times, five times, six times, seven times, Peter is genuine here. He's saying, Lord, seven times forgiving someone isn't that enough. If we forgive someone that many times, is the eighth a reason to not forgive and to not be vulnerable and and to change our mind about that person? Is it enough? And Jesus says, no. Here's what he says here. Jesus answered him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490 times. And the point is not 490. The point is you always forgive. Seven is the number of perfection. Jesus is just saying, If you want to be perfected in the Spirit of God, you always forgive. There's never going to be a time in your life that God excuses you not to forgive. This is what Jesus is saying. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's stop right there. A million dollars. This is a lot of money. Verse 25, As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Stop right there. hundred dollars. It's a million dollars versus a hundred dollars here. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. 
Jesus says in verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from your heart you do not forgive your brother their trespasses. Now this, this is a serious deal. Peter is asking a genuine question. He's just saying, hey, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then he tells this story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, if you want to understand what God is like and what the program is, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the program that runs the world. If you want to understand the unseen program, if you want to understand the laws of God, the nature of God that is operating everything that's going on, understand this. You've been forgiven a million dollars. Every one of us in here this morning, we could have never paid off all of our own sins. If we could have, the death of Jesus would have been unnecessary. But Jesus' death was necessary. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cut pass. In other words, if there's any other way to resolve the sin issue between you and mankind, let this cut pass. I don't want to die unless I have to. And when he saw the torches of his betrayers coming toward him, he knew God's answer. You have to die. There's no other way. So we all know here, there was no way we could have paid off our sins. There's no way we could have ever reconciled accounts with God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us in here this morning, we only deserve two things, death and hell. That's all we deserve. Anything good that we get from God is by His grace. Anybody agree with what I'm saying this morning? That's all. Let me tell you, tell you what. We've been forgiven by our Master. Okay. And when Jesus is talking about the program. The, the way that God views us and the people around us, He says, I have forgiven you a million dollars. If you will not forgive, in comparison to what I have forgiven you, no one else owes you much. In comparison to what you did to me, no one has done much to you. In comparison. Because we all understand now that our sins killed Jesus. It wasn't somebody else's. It was ours here this morning. And that's the reality of it. And when we won't forgive someone else, it is petty in the sight of God. There is, no, there is no excuse for it in the sight of God. And here is the shocking verse. Verse, 30, verse 34 says, His master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from your heart you do not forgive your brother their trespasses. He says, every single one of you, my Father will deliver you over to torture if you do not forgive from your heart. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus gets dead serious over the issue of forgiveness. Now, let me just say this. Unforgiveness is torture. If you, if you just want to live a tormented life, just try not forgiving someone. Let me give you some examples here. And first of all, unforgiveness is physical torture. Here's what happens. Whenever you take unforgiveness and put it on the inside of you, you won't forgive someone. Here's what happens. First of all, physically, it's torture. Ulcers, nervous disorders, headaches, high blood pressure, many physical disorders are caused by unforgiveness. But listen to this. This is We get this little 700 Club fact file here. We get this every month. It's just an interesting little piece of information that comes in the mail. There's a, there's a man, uh, Dr. Colbert, and uh, this is Benny Hinn's doctor. He's on television a lot. 
He talks a lot about, you know, just medicine and health and eating and things like that. Let me read you an excerpt here of what Dr. Colbert writes related to unforgiveness and cancer. I want you to listen to this. This is an excerpt of this little fact file. He says, The most important thing to having good health, more important than vitamins, minerals, the food we eat, and the water we drink, is having a merry heart. He bases his premise on the Bible where it says, A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Colbert advises that it's crucial for people to rid themselves of deadly, toxic emotions such as hatred, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. In fact, he exclaims, almost every cancer victim I have ever seen had some unresolved issue of unforgiveness or resentment towards someone or even self-hate. But he notes, the cancer often went into remission once those patients combined forgiving others and themselves with healthy eating habits and lifestyle changes. Isn't that an interesting thing? This is a medical doctor, and he is saying that in his experience, there is direct connection between unforgiveness and cancer. I'm just telling you, when Jesus says here, my Father will turn you over to tormentors if you don't forgive from your heart, unforgiveness is torment. It begins with physical torment. Number two is emotional torment, uh, outbursts of anger. When you have unforgiveness inside of you, you can't control your anger. You see people who have this, this volatile anger. It's always because of unforgiveness on the inside of them. Personality changes. People who are very cynical, bitter, uh, mi mistrustful, uh, all those things like that. It comes from being a bitter person, not being willing to forgive. Listen to this one, though. Depression. One of the, one of the most devastating byproducts of unforgiveness is depression. This, this is an epidemic in America. Do you, do you know how many people are depressed? Some of you in here, you may have gone to the doctor and they said that you were, you were depressed or, or whatever. I, I want to I help you to understand, and there, there are different reasons for depression. This isn't the reason for all depression, but I believe it's the reason for much of it, if not most. Listen to this. If, if we went outside right now and I said, we're going to run a foot race, and we began to run, all of us could only run a limited amount. Some of us would stop in a few steps. <laughs> Some of us would stop in a block or two. Some maybe would make it a mile. Some make it three or four miles. And a few in here would show off and run way away. Okay. But, but the best of us are only going to make it a certain distance. Let's just say 30 miles at the most. Yeah. <laughs> That's not me now. You have a limited amount of physical energy, and we all know that, especially those of us who are a little older. We know that we only have a certain amount of, of physical energy. But did you know that your emotions are just as limited? The highest consumer of emotional energy you can put inside of you is unforgiveness. It, it consumes your emotions. You were never designed by God to be a repository for anger. That's why Ephesians 4 says, get it out every day. Don't go to bed on it. When you do not resolve anger and you put that anger, the clinical definition of depression is anger turned inward. When you take unforgiveness and you store it inside of you, it's like putting your emotions on a treadmill. And your emotions are running anxiety, fear, 
anger, bitterness, all these things, your emotions go and go and you rehearse the problem and you think about that person and think about that person. And finally your emotions go, we're dead, we can't, we, we can't go anymore. This is it. And you're depressed. There is no more joy. There, there is no more optimism. You, you just wake up and you're just flat depressed. Why? Because you made a serious mistake. You didn't forget. And Jesus says, my Father will not protect you from depression. My Father will not protect you from anxiety. My Father will not protect you from all those physical disorders when you're in rebellion to His Word. He is going to hand you over to bondage and torment. You would have lived in freedom. You would have lived under His divine protection if you would have forgiven. But because you wouldn't forgive, you're not forgiven. See, this, this is another one of the curses of unforgiveness, Matthew 6.15, Jesus says, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, now, here's what I heard said one time, and that's this. Someone said, The reason that many people don't feel forgiven after they've confessed their sins is because they're not. Isn't that profound? Jesus told us to pray this prayer every day. Forgive us our trespasses as we, as we forgive the trespasses of others. And at the end of telling us that prayer, Jesus says, this is at the end of the Lord's Prayer, He says, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer He repeated. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer He explained. Forgive us our trespasses, and He will, as we forgive others our trespasses. And we know that's supposed to be a daily prayer because it says, give us this day our daily bread. If it was a weekly prayer, it would say, give us this week our weekly prayer. If it was a monthly prayer, it would say, give us this month our monthly prayer. If it was a semi-annual prayer, I'll stop right there. I'm just saying, it's a daily prayer. Every day you sweep the house clean. You can't afford unforgiveness. It's torment. It's spiritual torment, demonic activity. Ephesians 4 says, be angry. It's okay to be angry. Even God gets angry. But don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on that anger or you'll give the devil a foothold. Demonic activity. If the devil is looking for a way into your life or my life, anger is the main way he gets in. That's his language. That's his spirit. That's his mood. That's his personality. Hate, bitterness, cynicism, negativity, judgmentalism. That's his personality. He's looking for someone of a like personality that he can use as a tool. And we all know that the devil is looking for a tool. He was looking for a tool when he found the Columbine kids who went in and shot all those kids. He was just looking for a tool. He found someone filled with hate so he could use it. And even though some of us may not be of that same caliber, he's looking for someone to use in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in this church. He's always looking for someone that he can use. And he's always looking for someone of like personality. The Pharisees were that way. They were religious people. But Jesus says, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look real good. On the inside, you're full of murder. You're a very hateful people. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know, you know something? And I've made this statement in Amarillo, and, and people may some kind of like, sometimes they kind of gasp when I say it. 
But I want to say it just for effect, okay? Mean people go to hell. Mean people don't go to heaven. Read your Bible. Matthew said it. Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. You know the difference between grapes and thorn bushes? Grapes are sweet, thorn bushes stick. That's the difference between people's personalities. Some people are sweet, some people are thorny. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, neither figs from thistles. Many will come to me on that day and say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, I never knew you. And they'll say, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. They never said they went to the mission field. Never said they fed the hungry. It never says they visited nursing homes. It never says they took care of people or, or, or helped people in a merciful way. They, they were into the power stuff, the, the prophesying, the miracles, the casting out of demons, all of which are important. And Jesus said to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, what is lawlessness? In Matthew 22, a man came up to Jesus and said, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second law is love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's it. That's the whole Bible. Depart from me. You mean people? I'm not impressed by all your power stuff. I'm not impressed by all your religious knowledge. I want a people of love to represent me. And Jesus says, this is the way they will know you are my disciples, if you're right all the time. Isn't that what he said? That's what he said. That's, no, that's not what he said. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that love evaporates in milliseconds when unforgiveness is in your heart. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Lord, is it lawful for us to divorce our wives for any cause at all? And Jesus says, the only reason you divorce is because you're hardness of heart. How does a couple go from being passionately in love to being so bitterly hateful in a divorce proceeding? One drop of unforgiveness at a time. That's how your heart gets hard. That's, that's how your personality goes from sweet to bitter. This is a devastating thing. The poison of unforgiveness damages the vessel it is stored in worse than anything that you can spit it on. It's killing you. More than anyone who you're bitter at, more than anyone that you're angry at, unforgiveness damages us. The most self-loving thing that you will ever do is to forgive somebody else. It's the best thing for you. Here's the meaning of forgiveness. Number one, permanently forgiving all debt and bringing the balance to zero. If you're forgiving someone, it means you owe me nothing. If they owe you an apology, you haven't forgiven them. You owe me nothing. When the, when the master forgave the servant, he owed a zero balance. He took a million-dollar debt and reduced it to zero. Not to $1,000 or 10000 he reduced it to zero. Forgiving someone means you owe me nothing. The balance is zero. Number two, permanently forfeiting the right of reproach. I will never, ever reproach you for what you did. When I forgive you, it means it's over. When I see you on the street, I will not be hateful to you. I won't do anything like that. Number three, what forgiveness means, 
permanently forgoing all expressions of private and public judgment. I'll never talk about them. I'll never run them down. I'll never gossip about them. I'll never bring this thing up again. If you haven't, if, if you haven't brought the balance to zero, if you haven't forfeited the right of reproach, and if you haven't permanently forgone all expression of public and private judgment, you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness means it's over. As Psalm 103 says this about God. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins from us. Let me tell you what that means. There is no east pole and west pole on the earth. There's a north pole and a south pole. If the Bible says as far as the north is from the south, so far God has removed our sins from us, we would know how far that is. But the reason it says as far as the east is from the west, when God throws it east to the west, it means it's gone forever. It'll never be retrieved. Here's the good news. When we have sinned against God and we repent and God forgives us, do you realize that in all of eternity God will never remember it again? Isn't that good news? Did you know something else? There may be ladies in here who have had abortions. There may be people in here who have committed murder. There may be people in here who have done horrible things beyond, beyond anything that some of us could comprehend. Did you realize there is no sin in here today that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive? If we forgive. But the simplest sin that you have committed in your life cannot be forgiven if you won't forgive. What is forgiveness? The debt is zero. You owe me nothing. I will never find you. The, the slave here, this foolish slave, he not only would not bring the, the fellow servant's account to zero, when he saw him, he grabbed him and reproached him and began to berate him. If you have forgiven, it means they owe you nothing. You will not act to them in an unbecoming way. And it means you will not sit around and talk about that person or that situation. It's over. It's gone. It's finished. And if you're willing to do that, God is willing to forgive you of any sin, any time. If you're not willing to do that, understand, you're going to be a very shocked person one day when you get to heaven. And if you don't forgive, it doesn't mean that you'll go to hell or anything like that. But it means when you get to heaven, you may not have the rewards that you thought you'd have, and you may be standing accountable for sins that you thought were forgiven but aren't because you wouldn't forgive. Let me just tell you something. When Peter asked this question, Jesus got dead serious. And he says, My Father will deliver every single person over to torment if they will not forgive their brother from their heart. Let, let me tell you, uh, let me just, by the way, before I do this, let me say some forms of unforgiveness. Just read through them. These are just forms of unforgiveness. Some of you are in here and you may think, well, I, I think I have forgiven. Let me just read these. These are forms of unforgiveness, ways that we don't forget. Murder, hate, slander, divorce, gossip, rejection and avoiding people to punish them, revenge, withholding good, transfer of affection, Sarcasm and verbal hostility, labeling a person, calling them names, judgmentalism that Jesus says don't judge lest you be judged. In the same manner you judge, it will be judged back to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Being a judgmental person is one way that you know that you haven't forgiven. Lack of mercy and compassion, bigotry and prejudice. So you don't have to just hate a person. You can hate a type of a person. Bitterness and negative emotional responses and internally wishing for bad things to happen to people. There's one person that I can just say in my adult life I've genuinely hated. 
and I desired bad things for that person while I was unforgiving toward them. Another thing is praying against people. That you actually, you sometimes see Christians praying against a human being. Not praying against abortion or praying against a sin or praying against something like that, but actually praying against a human being in a bad way. Those are ways that you can know that you're not for forgiving. Here's how to forgive someone from your heart. Okay, it's just the process, and we'll, we'll pray and close. Number one, we must remember that our sins cost Jesus his life. You put Jesus on the cross. You just need to come to terms with that. You put Jesus there. It wasn't someone else. It was your sin. If you think it was someone else, then, then you just don't get it. Jesus Christ died the most horrible death a human has ever died because of you. They slacked him. They beat him. They plucked his beard out. They put a crown of thorns on him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They mocked him. They put a sign over his head in mockery. And I'll tell you, I think the worst of all is they hung him naked in front of his mother to die. And he did all of that for you and for me. This, this foolish servant in this story forgot what had been done for him. And because he forgot how much he had been forgiven by his wonderful master, he became a judgmental, mean person. We need to walk every single day and every single moment of every day remembering how much we've been forgiven. Am I telling the truth this morning? I mean, as we walk through our life every day, we need to remember that we were on our way to hell when we were ransomed by our Savior. And we didn't deserve forgiveness. We got it as a free gift. And we're not better than anyone. We were on our way to hell with everyone. And but by the grace of God, we would be prostitutes. We would be drug addicts. We would be on death row. We would be the people that we look at and sometimes want to judge. But by the grace of God, the only difference between us and them is the grace of God. We have been forgiven billions and trillions and zillions of dollars worth of sin by the mercy and grace of Jesus. That ought to make us humble people. That ought to make us people that walk around trying to give away what we've got. And what we have is grace. We have been forgiven. We have been loved by grace. And Jesus says, I'll give you as much as you'll give away. If you want a lot of grace... Give a lot of grace away. By your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. By your standard. Luke 6, you know, we quote that scripture where it says, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will pour it in your lap. And we use that related to money, and it's true. But you know what the context there is? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured back into your lap. If you want mercy, give mercy away, Jesus says. If you want, if you want God to be lenient with you, be lenient to others. But in exactly the same measure, Matthew 7, 1, in exactly the same measure that you measure it out, it's going to be measured back to you. If you want a, an eyedropper full of grace, give it away. And you say, God, give me some grace. And you just feel like this bird drop on your head. You know. What was that? God says, that's as much as you get. I don't want a bird dropper of grace. I want an ocean of grace. 
I need grace every single day and every single minute of every single day. And even when I think I'm doing my best, I'm still falling short of the glory of God. I need mercy. I need grace. And because I need so much, I need to give a lot of it away. And the more of it I give away, the more He'll give me. It's just a good deal, isn't it? It's just a good deal. But there's no such thing as a deal of us withholding grace from others and getting it from God. Forgive us our trespasses as we, to the same degree that we're willing to do it for others, is the same degree that God is willing to do it for us. But we have to remember that our sins cost Jesus Christ His life. Number two, we must remember that the death of Christ was in vain if we will not forgive. It was in vain for us. Jesus died for nothing if we won't forgive. Because His blood will not flow into our lives until we're willing to forgive. Number three, we must remember the horrible consequences of unforgiveness. Broken fellowship with God, bondage, and torment. That is what's going to happen in our lives. I've never seen a believer who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and was bitter. I've never seen it. Ephesians 4 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And the way you grieve the Holy Spirit is bitterness, clamor, anger, wrath, malice. You grieve the Holy Spirit. Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8 came up and he wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked at him and said, let your money perish. I see that you're full of the gall of bitterness. The gall of bitterness. You know why Simon wanted the power of the Holy Spirit? To get back at his enemies. And Peter looked at him and said, let your money perish with you. You are deadened. Gall was a deadening agent. They offered Jesus wine mixed with gall before he went to the cross. And Jesus would not receive any anesthetic. He went to the cross and felt every bit of pain for you and for me. And Peter looked and says, you're deadened. Your heart is deadened. Your mind is deadened. Your, your sensitivities are deadened by this bitterness, Simon. And we will not give you the Holy Spirit. So you can take it and ruin other people. We must remember that God loves our offender as much as He loves us. See, whenever you label a person, whenever you see a person that you're angry at and you label that person, call them an idiot or a loser or this or that, what you've done is you have devalued them and found a reason not to forgive them. So you'll never reach a person that you've judged. That's why the devil wants you to judge people when you drive by. You'll never witness to that person. You'll, you'll never reach that person for Christ. Anyone you judge, you'll never reach. You'll never even want to reach. But I want you to understand something this morning. This is the truth. Did you understand this morning? This is the truth. God loves Saddam Hussein just like he loves us. See, we look down. We look at other people by their nationalities or by, you know, labels that we put on them or whatever. When God looks down on the planet, he sees six billion children. You know, God has six billion children alive on the planet today. And he feels the same way about every single one of them. It's his desire that none would perish but all come to eternal life. Am I telling the truth this morning now? I'm just telling you, if you think that he feels differently toward you because you're saved or because you're more normal or because you worship more or because you pray more, you're wrong. When you drive by the worst person in South Lake, Texas or Grapevine, Texas or Dallas, Texas, when you drive by the worst person, understand he feels exactly toward them the way he feels about you. And he feels good about you. So much so that he sent his son to die. 
If you devalue a person, it gives you some justification of not forgiving that person. Here's the next one. We must make a permanent release of debt. I forgive them. I'm not talking about it. I won't reproach them in the future. The balance is zero. They owe me nothing. The same thing my master did for me, I'm doing for them. Number six, we must bless them and pray for them. And let me say this, and I'll close with this. Luke 6, 28, Jesus says this, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, I'm just telling you, that sounds like a nice little thing, but it's the most healing scripture I have ever found for the area of bitterness and unforgiveness. There's, only, there's really one person in my adult life I can truly say that I hated and despised, and I wanted them to die a slow, horrible death. And this was a guy in my church. And uh, I was, uh, I, I've never been to seminary. And uh, I worked for my dad, and I came into the ministry. I actually came on staff of the church that I now pastor. I, we, I was a member of the church. I ran the, ran the sound booth. That's how I started in the church. Karen and I joined the church, and uh, we were members. We were life group leaders. I was a deacon. I ran the sound booth. I just, you know, was involved in that. We helped a lot of people in marriage because God had helped us. And one day out of the clear blue sky, the pastor walked up and said, would you come on staff as a marriage counselor? Well, I knew I was called to the ministry, but I just never thought it would happen that way. And I said yes, and I came on staff as a marriage counselor. And ten months later, the pastor left. And remember, I had never been to seminary. I had no experience whatsoever. And the church was 900 people at that time. The first church I ever pastored was 900 people. And, you know, people said, you don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I agreed with them. You're right. Do you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I'll take advice from anyone. So I was 29 years old when the pastor left, and I became the senior pastor, scared out of my mind. I knew it was God. I knew that God had called me into the ministry, and I knew that I was supposed to be there at that time. Well, there was an individual at the church at that time, and he did not like me or the horse I rode in on. He just decided that I was not supposed to be the pastor of the church, and he did every single thing that he could do to drive me out of the church and out of the ministry. He came into an elders meeting with me present and told the elders I didn't know what I was doing to get another pastor. I was in the meeting. And I just sit there and I thought, well, that's mighty bold. I'm just telling you, I hated the guy. He would go around the church and say things about me and he was doing, I mean, I just... I thought about, I would just think in my mind, you know, in the evenings, I'd lay on my bed and just think about reading the paper and just reading the paper and said, he died. <laughs> just think, oh, yeah. yeah. Reading the details, the gory, <laughs> brutal details of how that low life died. Oh, yeah. Framing it, putting it on my wall. And when I had problems with any other church members, say, come into my office, please. Look at that article right there. <laughs> this is the last man who tangled with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate the guy. I'm just hating him. So, Lord, one day I was praying. It was changing my personality toward Karen. It was changing my personality toward my children. It was changing my personality toward other people. I was becoming a very bitter person, a very angry person, and I was depressed all the time. And I sat in my office one day, and uh, I said, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And, you know, and honestly, here, here's the prayer I had prayed. 
This is the truth. I said, Lord, remember Ananias and Sapphira. I promise I prayed that prayer. And I said, Lord, people would fear you if you would just strike some people dead. And, you know, really. And let me offer a list of names. <laughs> I promise I prayed that prayer. Okay. Well, you know, rather than the Lord saying, oh, that's a good idea. Here's what he said. Here's what the Lord said to me one day when I was praying. Jimmy, you're going to bless that man. And that this scripture came to my mind. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Well, I was bitter, and it was ruining me. I would not be in the ministry today if I would not have forgiven that person. There's no doubt about it. And I sat in my office, and I thought, bless him? Bless that man? And the Lord said, I want you to pray. Every time you pray, I want you to pray exactly for that man what you want me to do for you. And I thought about that for just a minute, and I thought, well, you know, Lord, now honestly, here, here's what I think. I could pray that prayer, but then if you blessed him, I would have a problem with you. That's what I thought. I can pray the prayer. I can say the words, but I can't mean it. And the Lord said, oh, yeah, you can. And you know, one of those little holy standoffs, guess who always wins? <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was, I, I was sick about it. And I sat there in my office and I thought, oh, man, I've got to bless that stupid jerk. And I said, Lord, okay, I pray this and this and this and this. And, this. and there, there wasn't much heart in it. It wasn't a great prayer. But it was a start. And the Lord said, okay, every day you pray that prayer. Every day you bless him. Blessed him the first day. Blessed him the second day. Blessed him the third day. Never meant it. Never meant a syllable of it. Horrible attitude. Blessed him the fourth day. Blessed him the fifth day. Blessed him the sixth day. Blessed him the seventh day. Blessed him the eighth day. Blessed him the ninth day. It was around the tenth day. And I'm just going through the motions. And I said, Lord, I pray that you'd bless this man and his wife and his children. And bless this and bless this and bless this now. In an instant of time, the love of God for that man fell on me. I remember the instant it happened. I was just going through the motions. I didn't want to bless that guy. But I saw in my spirit when I was praying for him, a little boy who had been abused. And this little boy had been severely abused. And this boy was like, little boy was traumatized. And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. Jimmy, you see him as a big grown-up man who's trying to hurt you. I see him as a little boy who's been hurt. If you saw him the way I saw him, you wouldn't feel the way you feel. And from that moment forward, I love that man. God healed, drained the bitterness out of my heart as I blessed the one who was cursing me and was praying for the one spot for me. Folks, this is not just a nice little religious scripture. It's medicine. You know, some, some of you are here this morning. You've been devastated. I mean, you know, all of us have been just kind of hacked at. You know, you go through life and, you know, life just kind of hacks at you. Somebody, you know, kind of mosquito bites you. Somebody kind of pokes you. Some people kind of dig you. Some people cut you. Some people gore you right straight through. 
All of us are kind of nicked up. Some of us are kind of beat up. But if we could see the way that God sees, we would see that some of us are torn. Some of you have stories that, that only God knows. And you've been so deeply hurt through abuse, through a bitter divorce, through a betrayal in business. And I'll tell you this, the most self-loving thing that you could do would be to forgive that person or people. And if you would forgive that person, I promise you this, God would forgive you of all of your sins and it would restore your relationship with God, the freshness of God. Because when we don't forgive, God still loves us, but there's just not that freshness, there's just not that intimacy. It would change your personality. It would change your disposition. It would change the way that God would use you. God just won't use better people. He just won't do it. It would just change you. Why don't you bow your heads with me if you will. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come right now. I invite you to come into this place. We invite you to come into this place. And Holy Spirit... We ask you to do surgery on our, on our hearts and our lives. Lord, we know that we have been forgiven a lot. We've just been reminded this morning how much. We know, Lord, that we were servants in great debt to our Master. And we know, Lord, that out of the goodness of your heart, you sent Jesus to die for us and erased our debt of sin. And we just remember that we put you there, Lord. It wasn't someone else. And we thank you, God, for the forgiveness that you offer, but we realize it is conditional on us forgiving others, on us being willing to release other people the debt that they owe us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'd come because I know that there, there's a great wrestling in the hearts of some people here because of the, the deep damage that's been done to them. I just pray that you'd come this morning and give us the grace to, to forgive and to bless. To bring the balance to zero to those who owe us much. Who have violated us. Who have said things to us and about us. Damaged our reputations. Those who took our vulnerabilities and weaknesses and took advantage of them. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you give us the grace this morning to forgive. And I thank you for that. If there's someone in your life this morning, this, this might be an individual or it might be more than one person, but you would just say to God this morning, Lord, I, I really know that I need to forgive. And Lord, I'm just asking you this morning to Forgive me of all of my sins. To restore, God, my health. To restore me emotionally and spiritually. And give me the grace this morning to be able to forgive from my heart. If there's someone, as, as we're praying this prayer, that you can think of, and you're just saying to God this morning, I make the decision to forgive, I just want you to stand. If, if you're going through that right now, I want you to stand up. 
If there's someone that you just need to forgive, I want to pray for you. I want you to stand. And we're, gonna, we're just going to say a prayer and ask God.